Good. So this is very interesting. You, um, it's very, um, uh, it shows a lot of initiative on your part to, uh, <laughs> to, to reach out like this. What made you decide to do that? Um, you see, um, several um, months ago, I was like thinking of creating um, like a talk show or like a podcast with um, certain diplomats of Indonesia. And then I thought like, um, let's not limit it from only Indonesia. Let's see outside of Indonesia. And I tried to reach out to several people and um, you were one of those who accepted the request. Wow, that, that, that's really, uh, um, it shows a lot of uh, get up and go and I think you'll do very well with that. Thank you. I, I really dream to be a diplomat one day. <laughs> what are you doing to prepare? Um, I find debating quite interesting, especially on such as um, world issues, because in my school, we often um, did debates. And previously, my principal was a Canadian. He, mm. was, he was very great, but he, was, he moved to Jakarta to another part of my school. So I really think that um, such diplomacy is very interesting, especially on how we can solve um, issues of the world because it's very controversial yeah. nowadays. Yes, and, and it, it's one of those areas of, of work where you will never be able to replace a diplomat with a machine. Yes. Because we can not have robots. We can't have robots do this. There is so much work that needs to be done to, to find consensus, especially if you are doing multilateral diplomacy. Yeah, um, well, my family were mostly interested in law, but I, I'm one of the different um, person in my family because my dad is a lawyer. My sister is a lawyer also, and my second sister is um, currently in college, and she's going to be a lawyer soon, uh, which I am quite different because I find diplomacy more interesting. But of course, diplomacy doesn't um, limit law to learn ab about, right? Actually, I have a lot of colleagues who are also lawyers and diplomats. In fact, oh. I think that there is an advantage um, if you have a law degree, then there are certain things I, I, I see my colleagues able to understand. They understand things differently. But one of the things, I don't know how it works in Indonesia, but in Canada, um, most of our diplomats are not drawn from the same kind of, of training. So I have met diplomats that did library science as a training. I have met diplomats that are engineers. I have di diplomats that have lawyer background. So it's that diversity that allows us to contribute each in our own way. Exactly. And of course, um, perseverance and optimism. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's, and, and I can say from my own experience, it's often not the first crack at it that you succeed. I did the foreign service exam a couple of times um, and did not succeed. And then finally, I joined the foreign service through in the mid of my career. 
um, I had two other careers before that that uh, had nothing to do, well, they weren't government careers. Um, but then I joined the Foreign Service and I have to say it's, it's spectacular. I loved my other careers, but this is really, I strongly recommend it. Well, it's, it might be challenging, some people say, but it's worth the risk. <laughs> it is, it is. And where, so I, every country is different. Canada is one of those countries that allows you to join in, in like I did in, you know, in my, not in my 20s, I can tell you. I was in my 40s when I joined. Um, and I'd already had 20 years of, of work under my belt. Some countries only allow you to join right out of university or at a certain age before you're 30 or whatever. What is it like in Indonesia? Um, well, in our country, uh, such um, foreign diplomacy workers, I think it's quite a few people which are very interested in such things. Indonesians are more into, let's say, business and our politics, but internal uh, politics. They, they're not really open um, to global issues. Mostly, we can say, because of um, the preparation, which is quite um, not really that good, because education in our country might be very different of that of Canada. That, that is why it somehow prevents um, certain person from global mindset or global mindedness. And I was lucky that I was in a, I'm in an international school, which a lot of teachers are from foreign foreigners. And um, we discussed, we have subjects like global perspective and we have debates on global issues, which is 100% different than the usual national schools in Indonesia. And, and that's, that's very helpful for you because you will be able to think um, about how events overseas affect Indonesians. Exactly. And because at the end of the day, that's what we do, right? We, 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 we think about how our country will be affected by any of these things. And such diplomacy will really affect our country because we need to be brave in international stages. For example, like Indonesia and Canada are parts of many organizations, like international organizations. And I think what's important is that the leaders is not only the president or the prime minister, it's also um, the people who has the initiative to help um, the country, such as lobbying or let's say people to people diplomacy, which is, I think, very interesting and very important. It is. Um, and it, it takes the form of, for us, um, trade is also part of our diplomatic service. Um, uh, immigration is, is part of our diplomatic service. These are all parts that form our diplomatic service because we think that all of those pieces make the whole. It's not just the, um, uh, you know, negotiating a, a, uh, 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 an agreement at the UN. It's not just a bilateral um, relation. It's trade and how do we get uh, um, 
consensus on on some of those issues that that uh, um, that affect us all, but also how do we ensure that Canadians are safe overseas? And all of those things are diplomacy. So if you go into diplomacy in Indonesia, are you looking at only the political stream or do you have other streams in, in Indonesia? Um, area, you know, where, where your expertise would be more um, uh, politics? not politics per se, but you know what I mean. International um, relations. International relations, exactly, yeah. Is that is that the focus in the diplomacy in Indonesia or do you have other parts of the Indonesian um, di diplomatic core that deal with other things like trade? I think we're also focusing on trade and of course security because we, we have quite um, a very well uh, military, and we we do trainings with certain forces and also Canadian forces, and mm -hmm. we have the UN peacekeeping soldiers in mostly in Middle Eastern countries, and I think that's one of the um, best ways for Indonesia's diplomacy. I I uh, I think that uh, Indonesia is a very strong comp uh, con contributor to uh, to peacekeeping forces in. Uh, uh, in a number of countries. And um, I think, I mean, Indonesia is also a partner for Canada on a number of things. I, I'm afraid I don't know as much about Indonesia as I do about Brunei, obviously, but um, I, I'm pretty sure that we work with, with you on things like women, peace and security and um, uh, um, prevention of trafficking and uh, certainly on COVID, I think that Indonesia and Canada are very um, like-minded in how we're uh, trying to address the COVID uh, uh, outbreak in terms of we are all in this together. We're not going to isolate. Uh, um, we're not going to um, hoard the resources. Everybody, if, if, we're, if one country is doing badly, we're all doing badly. Yes, we're we're partners for peace. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. I have several questions about diplomacy and Canada. Um, what do you think are the most important things for countries to have good diplomats and to have good bilateral um, relationships with other country? What are the most important things? Um. So for us, uh, those are two pieces of uh, two uh, two questions really. Uh, in terms of good diplomats, um, we feel that you need a diversity. That means you need to have women and men. You need to have people from all ethnic backgrounds that are represented represented in your country. And for Canada, of course, as a as a country of indigenous people and immigrants, um, we that means. Uh, we, we have people from whose ethnic origin are either indigenous or from all over the world. So we are lucky because we have people who speak Arabic as a first language. We have people who speak Italian as a first language. We have people who speak German as a first language, who speak Tagalog as a whatever. Um, we have a real diversity uh, in that way. So for good diplomacy, you need people who bring 
a variety of skills and ethnic backgrounds and, and um, uh, perspectives because then you are able to address whatever comes along because you have someone within your diplomatic corps that, that has an understanding of, of the issue. And in terms of how to, the, sorry, the quest, second question, part of the question was how to do, have good bilateral relations? Yep. In almost every um, sector is like the tips for a good bilateral. So, you know, in my experience, you have to start with respect being the, the groundwork of your, of your, of your bilateral relation. You will never agree on everything. That's just the way it is. You're not, two countries will, heck, we can't agree within our own country about everything. So we're certainly not going to agree with other countries about absolutely everything. But as long as we have a measure of respect for, for the perspectives of other countries, then you have established a good groundwork for, for um, having a frank conversation. And sometimes you have to say things that your person in front of you doesn't want to hear, but that's part of it too. Finding ways to um, pass on a message that is um, done in such a way that they understand it's done with respect. And so when I arrive in a country, I like to spend a good amount of time learning about the country from the people in the country and meeting as many people as I can, because those are the people that are going to teach you about how the people of that country think, how they approach problems, and it provides, pardon me, opportunities for you to, um, find solutions where there may be differences because if you understand people's perspective it's a lot easier to find a solution okay based on your experience as um, a diplomat or in the area of diplomacy what do you think are the um, challenges for example personally or like um, intern inter countries or between um, organizations and your country for example like um, the different sectors or conflicts, that might be some challenges, but um, what about personally the challenge of being a diplomat? I think probably the biggest challenge about being a diplomat is you're so far away from your family. And that's not to be taken lightly. That is, that is serious. Um, especially right now, we've had, you know, um, uh, almost a year since we've seen our children and um, our elderly in our family. And that's, that's hard. Um, now, of course, this is a specific set of circumstances and, and hopefully will never be repeated again in our lifetimes. But, um, but even when you do have mobility, you rarely have the time to go home as often as possible. For me, for, from Brunei to Canada, it's a 36 hour flight. Oh. Yeah, so it's not something you just do. 
Um, it's something you plan for for months in advance and you have to take a certain amount of time off because by the time you get there and you get adjusted to the time zone difference, you don't want to be turning right around and going back. So um, I think that is probably the thing that is the most difficult. But we are very lucky because right now we have Zoom and we have inexpensive telephone calls and all kinds of tools that, that we didn't have when I first started living overseas. I moved overseas in the early 1980s for the first time. And in those days, you wrote letters yeah. and you got a call at Christmas every year. One call. That was because it was so expensive that you had a call at Christmas and that's what you did. Um, where overseas were you um, for the first time being a diplomat? Uh, the first time being a diplomat, that was, uh, that was in 2009. But the first time I was overseas in the early 80s, I was a Rotary Exchange student in Japan. I was in high school in Japan for a year. And uh, so it was, I was living with Japanese families and, and, and going to Japanese high school. So that was a different situation. Um, but my first diplomatic post was in Poland. So you've, you've been having different experiences in Europe and in Asia. Um, what do you think are the, the most interesting experience you have ever had in Brunei or in Asian country? Well, you know, Brunei is, um, is a very interesting place that so many people don't take the time to find, to learn about because it's small and people think they know about Brunei, but, but really I think all of the preconceptions about Brunei uh, are, are often wrong because we love it here. It is a very warm, friendly place. The people are kind and they will do anything for you. If, if you show them the respect that they deserve, then um, they will, uh, they will um, do anything. So I think one of the great pleasures about living in Brunei is how warm, friendly, and open people are to, uh, to, to meeting new people. Um, in like, for example, the, pl the places to visit in Brunei, I've been there in 2015. I've visited several places. And what do you think are, are um, the best places to visit in Brunei? Well, um, if you'd asked me this a year ago, I probably wouldn't have said this because we hadn't had a chance to, to do it. But I would say Temburong. Oh. The oh. area of Eastern Brunei that is that little piece um, do you know Brunei is two pieces, right? Divided by Malaysia, but <coughs> pardon me, because uh, they were building a bridge before COVID and because of COVID, they finished it quickly. And, and so now we can drive there. We don't have to go through border crossings through Malaysia to get there. 
And so it's been, been um, wonderful to explore Timberong because it is really a, uh, a piece of pristine forest in, in Borneo. And so for someone like me who is not used to um, tropical forests, it's such a pleasure to, to explore um, that mm. side of, of Brunei and see how many different plants and animals that I'd never even heard of before. And a lot of people think that it's quite not that interesting compared to other Asian countries. And how can you prove that it, their claims will be wrong based on your experience? In well, I can say that um, my husband and I are hoping to get an extension on our posting. That's how much we love it here. Wow. Yes. So it's, it's, um, it's one of these places, it's, it's one of these, uh, un, unknown uh, um, secrets. It's, I've, li I've lived in a few other places where people have this image in advance about how it's going to be and they, they don't think that they'd like it. But if you, if you come here and you make it your own and you make, make an effort to get to know people and experience the local um, food and the things people do, here we hike. Uh, especially during COVID because everybody uh, needs to get out and do some exercise. And the hiking in Brunei is fantastic. So if you can make an effort, wherever you're posted, to really get to know the people and the, the, the special things that that country brings, I've always found that I've loved it more than I, even I expected to. And a lot of people also don't um, understand about Brunei is what they're really focusing about this small country, which I find interesting is the, the kingdom and the royal family, which are um, one of the richest families on earth. And based on your experience as a diplomat and based on your, let's say, visits to the palace, I, I've, I've tried to go inside the palace once and... I find it quite interesting. It's quite big. Have Have you experienced, um, let's say, uh, meeting with several members of the royal family? And how would you describe them? Are they um, friendly or like close friends compared to, let's say, usual politicians? Well, um, I, of course, as a as a high commissioner, we present our credentials to His Majesty, and as a woman high commissioner. I had an audience with Her Majesty, and they were both very warm and friendly. And and we've met other other members of the royal family um, over the time we've been here. They're always warm and friendly. And and I can say that that in our experience here, it is evident to us that His Majesty is very much loved by the people of Brunei. Uh, we have seen him, um, there is an annual regatta where the, uh, the, His Majesty and the Crown Prince um, uh, uh, 
have separate boats and then the diplomatic community has a boat and the ministers have a boat and so on and so forth. And his majesty uh, was down to watch uh, the regatta or to participate in, but also to watch the rehearsals. And he was surrounded by people who wanted to say hello to him. And he took the time to do it. He often is down downtown Bandar Seri Begawan um, on a bicycling Sundays, and he'll take the time to say hello to people. And people really appreciate that. Uh, I really look forward on meeting him myself. <laughs> and I hope you get an opportunity as a, when you come as an Indonesian diplomat. Hopefully. <laughs> and talking about Brunei, I heard that the COVID cases in Brunei is quite um, stable and it's quite um, fine compared to other countries in the world. Um, how is it exactly right now in Brunei? We've been extremely lucky here. Um, the last community transmission case was in early May. Yeah, so there have been a couple of cases, I think six or seven cases since May, but they've all come in on flights from somewhere else. So in, we're talking about community transmission, it's, it's, there is none. We are in a very, we are very lucky. People are, um, they're social distancing um, uh, as per regulations, but, but they're not needing to wear masks and they're not needing to uh, uh, limit the numbers in the way that they are in a lot of other countries. There are limits, but the limit, the limits are much higher than they are in other countries because we are fortunate enough to live somewhere where there is no real, there's very low risk of transmission within the community. And how would you, let's say, compare it to Canada itself? Uh, well, Canada is not doing as well at the moment. Um, it's, it's, uh, um, we are uh, seeing a, a second wave at the moment. Um, most likely, and I'm, I'm hypothesizing here because actually I don't know, but most likely related to the resumption of school in September uh, because school went online right away in March and then, and then they went to mostly classrooms in September. So the wave is following that it's getting, it's gotten worse. Also, you'll, you'll know that of course, Canada is a cold country and, and people are less able to, to um, stay outdoors where it's safer. You know, there's less, less incidents of community transmission uh, when you're in an outdoor space. So as we get into the heart of winter, it's going to be even more challenging, I think. Um, the people are wearing masks, people are socially distancing, but there are a number of of points where they are seeing increased numbers in long-term care homes and in schools. So what in Brunei compared to Canada, are schools in Brunei already open? Yeah, they, they reopened in early July, I'm going to say. And, and they 
did they yeah. have such safety measures, for example, at requiring masks for school or? Yeah. Yeah. So the students wear masks in the school. Um, and, uh, they've, I think they spread out the, the seats and things, but for the most part, um, they, they're able to do everything they, that they need to do that the few restrictions on athletic events and stuff like that. But I, I, uh, but for the most part, they can do what they need to do. Okay. Um, now I think I have a very interesting part of the question, which is food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what 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 type of food in Brunei would you say that is very delicious well um we are i'm a huge fruit eater so i love all the amazing mangosteens and mangoes and 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 papayas and all of those things that we're so lucky to have here um, you know, I, I pay a fortune for those in Canada. In fact, I'd never heard of mangosteens before I came here. Um, those are fruits that, that I can have. We have had durian. durian. Um, Bruneian durian is very specific. It's very different than durian that, that I've seen in other countries like Thailand or Singapore. Um, and it's, it's a... It's a Borneo, it, they say it's a Bruneian durian, but I would suspect that you can find it in Malaysia and, and Indonesia, Indonesian Borneo as well. And, um, and we liked it. We, that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting to like it, I have to admit, but, uh, but I did like it. Well, um, in the city where I currently live in Indonesia, we are also um, very famous of our durian in Indonesia and um, it's in North Sumatra. Have, have you ever been to Indonesia? Only Jakarta. Ah, only Jakarta. Um, you should try to visit um, the island of Sumatra. It's, it's, it's very similar to Brunei. It's just, it's much larger and especially Lake Toba. And um, I'm in North Sumatra and there's a lot of um, different kinds of fruits such as like mangosteens and durians it's highly available in here any time of the month any time of the week nice well, talking about um other food like snacks what do you think are snacks which are very interesting in brunei hmm. they That's have a good traditional cakes right the malays oh yeah yeah there's a lot of cake here people like their cake um cake made with lots of pandang Pandan, pandan, okay. like on the end or not, um, and lots of cakes that made with with it. Um, they 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 eat a lot of um, uh, uh, like they like to go to coffee shops and have coffee and and uh, treats. And and there is actually a coffee that is being grown in Brunei. Oh. It's uh, um, one in the very southern, southwestern corner of the western side of Brunei. Someone has put a coffee plantation in. And uh, so they're hoping to have a, a, a good business growing their own coffee. Well, 
I know Indonesian Sumatran coffee is fantastic. Yeah, we're we're actually um, Malaysia, Singapore, Brunei, Indonesia are actually um, brothers. We're just different in size. Yes. <laughs> Our traditions are are very similar, especially the Malays and but Indonesia has a lot of um, a more wide aspect of culture. We have thousands of um, races and we have uh, many traditional um, regions and the cakes here are of similar of that of Brunei but it's more of a very wide variety and I think you should try to come to Indonesia especially I would love to uh, we were my husband was supposed to go to Bali with our one of our sons um, in March and that didn't happen. Um, so it's, uh, we're, we're waiting for all this to be over so that we can start traveling again. And Indonesia is high on our list to visit. Because apart from Jakarta, I have a suspicion like any other capital city, Jakarta does not represent um, uh, all of Indonesia. So we really want to get out and, and see more of Indonesia. And um, if you will come to Indonesia, um, I will be happy to assist you in your travel. <laughs> and talking about um, certain countries in the world, we see that Indonesia and several other countries in the world, we have one of the biggest problem are, is also like similar to a pandemic, which is an environmental issue. And how would you say? Canada is doing right now and the positive and um, the good things that Canada are doing against fighting against let's say global warming climate change uh, Canada is working hard to to have more um, sustainable um, sources of, of power for example so we have uh, a lot of hydroelectric dams in fact Fun fact, most Canadians don't call it the electric bill, they call it the hydro bill. Because most of our power in many parts of Canada comes from hydroelectricity. Um, having said that, we still have a, uh, uh, an economy that, that has um, a lot of uh, influence from non-renewables. And we're trying to work very hard to create um, uh, uh, um, green solutions for um, both in terms of produ production of electricity or power um, and to minimize the effect of the choices that we have at the moment. So we are um, uh, on the road, but like any country, we have big uh, challenges in that regard. And we're looking both inside Canada and outside Canada to help us find solutions. Because again, kind of like COVID, this isn't just our issue. This is, if we, if we don't contribute to, to the solution, then um, nobody is, is going to be able to, to be safe if we all work together for, uh, to try to, to reduce our impact on the environment, then we will all benefit. 
and currently it's really quite different from what Indonesia is experiencing because we have recently passed um, a law which is which the international um, stage view it as an abuse to environment because the law is really really uh, pro let's say business and investments but it's, it doesn't care about the environment which is the cause of if you look at the news of the ongoing protests in Indonesia even in such times in the pandemic people still protest and there were riots everywhere and still um, the government doesn't seem to be that um, open to this what to what alternative would be and speaking about the government itself um how does freedom of speech like in any issue in a religious issue in environmental issue um how do you think does canada or brunei see it as a as a good thing as an important fundamental thing for democracy or simply for peace so here i'll speak for canada because that's that's who I represent. Um, Canada believes we have a charter of rights and freedoms. And within that charter is uh, the freedom of, of speech. Now the freedom of speech applies to all of us, but it doesn't extend as far as doing harm. So there is a, a uh, point at which freedom of speech um, whether it be, let's take hate speech as, a, as an example, um, becomes illegal because hate speech is, does harm to others. So it's a very tenuous um, uh, point. At what point does it become? And that's where we need the lawyers. Um, but, it, but it's an important tenet of our democracy. You have to be able to speak your mind um, as long as by speaking your mind, you are not um, denigrating others. Such as if we can see the Black Lives Matter movement, which is going on, um, it's also going on in Canada last time. And how do you view such a movement? Well we can say that the movement might be considered as a freedom of speech, but some people complain of the lootings and the riots caused by the protesters. Does it um, happen in Canada? And what do you think should the government of Canada or the USA do to such um, negative activities? So again, I'll speak for Canada. I'm, I'm not going to speak for an, an, any other country. In, in Canada, we have uh, recognized that there is institutional racism in Canada and that we need to address it. And so we welcome constructive discussion about that. And um, because it's often the case that you don't, e if you're not faced by that racism, you don't actually even see where it exists. So we are working really hard within um, both the government of Canada and the diplomatic service to try to figure out where those barriers are and to try to eliminate them. And we welcome the discussion that's coming right now to try to help us see those things. 
Um, and in Canada, again, it's, you can, you have a right to, to, uh, uh, to speak your mind and, and, uh, be, uh, heard. And so, um, uh, we are very open to, um, um, all kinds of, of, um, anti-racism initiatives, including Black Lives Matter. For us, we have, uh, you know, I'll be really frank with you. I, we have uh, also issues um, where for generations and, um, and, and hundreds of years, we have had a history of, of not treating our First Nations well. Um, those are the people who are indigenous people of Canada. And so um, we have, we are working hard to, to, to work, fix that, but um, uh, it's a long process and we have a long way to go. Okay. And what do you think can we as regular citizen um, view such uh, racism and how can we achieve peace? I, I think simply, let's say, respecting others, but how do you think is the best way that um, we can break these margins between people of different race, different cultures, different genders. How can, um, as a as a diplomat? So, so we do something in the Canadian Diplomatic Service, which is called a GBA plus analysis. That's gender based analysis plus. So it started out as a gender based analysis, which meant that whenever we were doing something in that would affect people, we would try to figure out how it would differently affect women or men. But then we realized that there are other yes. groups that we should be taking into account. There should, we should also be looking at persons of color, uh, indigenous groups, uh, handicapped groups. Um, it, it, this GBA plus analysis helps us look at it from a number of, of, of perspectives, you know, it helps us look at our own hiring, for example. Are we hiring people that all look the same or all have the same education or from the same university or same part of the country or whatever? Um, we need to be sure that we are um, creating creating a space for all of those different points of view. And, and so we are trying to ensure that uh, there aren't invisible barriers for people of color, for indigenous people to become diplomats, for example. That's how we're trying to change things from within as a diplomatic service. Well, I certainly hope that Canada and Indonesia and every country in the world can um, perform such similar things. But of course, you have different ways to perform it. And thank you so much for the information. I hope I can have the chance to come to Brunei and to Canada, of course. If you do, I, I would love to show you beautiful Timberone. 
I I see and if I will be able to go and visit Brunei after this pandemic ends, it will be very interesting, especially um, the mosque in, in the city. It is, it's very large. Absolutely. And yeah. there's also, well, yes? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say how much I enjoyed this. <laughs> and there was this museum I went to in Brunei. Was it, um, there were the wards everywhere in there and... I forgot the, the museum regalia name. Regalia Museum? Regalia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting, isn't it? But some people say that it's, it's not just that. Um, you need to go inside, where, like the forest and the green, mm. which I don't have much time at that time. Oh, definitely. If you come to Brunei, you need to take some time and really get out into the, into the, the uh, nature. From anywhere in Bandar, you can get out um, to nature within 10, 15 minutes. We're very, very lucky here. I hope um, this December, let's say Indonesia will open the restriction of international travel to Brunei and I wish to visit Brunei. Well, you never know. I think it might be a little later than December, Maybe. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for reaching out to me. I've enjoyed this thoroughly <laughs> and uh, I commend you for doing this. I think it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm also trying to reach out on several other um, diplomats from other countries, which is kind of, I find this um, not only um, beneficial in terms of learning, but it's also interesting and fun. And That's great. My pleasure. Take care. Take care. Stay safe. May God bless you. Thank you. You too.